0: Hers is like an action movie level of somebody's neck getting snapped. Like, it's insane. Like, if you were doing Foley for Die Hard 7, you could use Janelle's neck snap sound.
1: Welcome to No Noclip. I am not Chad Ruthermond. I am, in fact, Andy Kinnick. And uh, today I'll be joined by a special guests uh, Not JJ Artemis. I'm Daniel Otten.
2: Not Chad or JJ. Janelle Vickers.
1: And just Stephen Otten. And today we're going to be talking about Divinity Original Sin 2, which is developed by Larian Studios, published by Bandai Namco, and released in 2017 and then it kind of trickled out to other major platforms uh, after that so i uh, just figured to start off with like this is kind of like a niche style of uh of role-playing game referred to as a crpg or computer role-playing game and uh i didn't gr- i i grew up with like a shitty home computer so i did not play a lot of computer games as that, a kid
0: had a very long life we talked about this yeah. recently. You had like I'm pretty sure it's big, still there, right? This big plastic no, got rid of it. uh was it an HP? Yeah. Like anybody like, who grew up like a up,
1: baseline model.
0: Anybody who grew up in like the late 90s and early 2000s would recognize this computer instantly and you had it for like 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> yep.
1: So yeah, did not play a lot of computer games until like 5 to 8 years ago uh, cuz of that experience. So I don't have a lot of experience with these kinds of games, so this was all pretty new to me.
0: Well, Steven and I have similar experiences because we grew up <laughs> yeah. under the same roof. Um, we, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of different things kind of count as like experience with this, because like if you play Dungeons and Dragons, I feel like you also have some familiarity with these games because like the early ones were essentially just trying to be video game ports of Dungeons and Dragons. But our, we've had, we had Neverwinter Nights. For the PC back in like '99 or whenever that was, and then like a pretty long drought before I I would say I I got back into this genre.
3: Would you count uh, like as an action RPG? Uh, like our time, we played a lot of Diablo too uh, in high school on our computer. So I I feel like it's still an RPG. It's not it's not in the same depth as as these games, but it's a similar feel.
0: Yeah, I tend to put them in separate I tend to put them in separate buckets. Like I think like action RPGs are really de- have been defined a lot by Diablo in such that they're kind of like a distinct genre at this point. Yeah. Um where it's a more like arcade style, fast-paced, focused on loot and combat. And the CRPGs, I mean there's something we could talk about like, but their history is super interesting because they were a pillar of video game development for a little while, and then I feel like people decided that they weren't worth making anymore, and they kind of morphed into something else, and then that's part of why I think Divinity is so interesting and was so successful is, like, a return to form. So I I, I think action RPGs are kind of separate. Janelle, do you want to talk about your
2: history? Oh, my history with computer (laughs) games? Games for the computer? You mean, like, Neopets Flash games? (laughs) And all of the Sims? One through, now four? Yeah. um, Divinity
0: really draws a lot of influences from Neopets Flash game.
2: It does. (laughs) It kind
0: of wears it on its sleeve.
2: I mean, have you ever participated in the Poogle races? It's intense. (laughs) Um, No, but as I feel like I've talked about on my rare appearances on the cast, I am kind of late to RPGs generally as a genre, and I tend to gravitate, I guess, more toward, uh, I don't know, console gaming. Or my computer experience being, yeah, less of a RPG focus. So this was new for me. Um,
0: but you are a huge Dragon Age fan, I am. And I think it, we will t- can talk about this later a- as it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I think Dragon Age, the development of Dragon Age, is a great like mirror for the genre in general, right? And so, like you, de- you had that experience before yeah. coming to this. The
2: difference being that it that is very much a solo experience. And you could play Divinity Solo with NPC co-op, but this was much more of a multiplayer focus, right. which I think was definitely a unique experience for our group, but what's a unique experience for me specifically?
0: Yeah, we should say we all played through the game start to finish together over yes. the course of yeah. like yeah. a year.
1: Sure yeah, enough, Like uh, Like, all, all 150 hours together. Yeah, I think it's important because the
3: way you consume the game as part of a multiplayer experience is definitely going to be different than just going through it solo. For sure. And I even played, like, the 25 to 30 hours of it
0: solo back when I was in law school and then tapered off and then came back to it with you guys. And it was, like, a completely different experience uh, and, I like, would get into a little bit the differences. but
1: Yeah, so... Uh, one thing that you said was that this kind of game fell out of vogue. It was really popular in like the the mid to late 90s. And I think part of the reason was, is that people didn't know how to like adapt this kind of formula with like the changing trends and all that. And I think one thing this game manages to do really successfully is modernize this style of game really well mm-hmm. and one way that they did it is i think there's just tons of options as we were saying you can play through the whole thing with four people and it's not just tacked on it's like factored into the story and all kinds of stuff yeah
0: there's like i mean maybe we, you guys didn't have the experience of playing a single player i only had like a brief experience of playing a single player but like this game accomplishes multiplayer in this setting in a way that I didn't really think would be possible and that like I think is a super exciting development for this genre because these games are way more fun to play with people and it's not I mean what so we played a little bit of Baldur's Gate not that long ago and mostly through technical difficulties had to abandon it so like Baldur's Gate is a great and foundational game but the multiplayer on that And granted, I mean, it's a much older game, so obviously the capabilities were way more limited. But like, even now in the enhanced edition or the remastered edition that came out a year or two ago, you know, there's a party leader and then everybody has to join the game. And basically the play experience is all of the people who joined are just like tagging along on the party leader's game. Like they aren't really acknowledged as existing in any meaningful way. And if the party leader dies, like it's a game over screen. If anyone else dies, it's not. And Divinity manages to incorporate all of the player characters as like totally equally important players e- and even has inner party dialogue, which is like just blew my mind when we discovered that. <laughs> um, and it's used like just just enough um, that I it's one of the things I love most about this game is how immersive it is for all the players.
1: Yeah, and they even factor that in to like the creator characters, because it gives you the option of playing preset characters, which I'm a big fan of. I think that makes it easier to roleplay personally, but then you can also create your own characters and you can give them these tags that uh, the NPCs will react to in different ways. So like they've given the the creator characters more importance in the world, which I think is really cool.
2: Um, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I'm in the opposite camp. I very much prefer RPGs where you can sort of design your own character because I want to get in that mindset of, okay, I want to create this character who maybe has this background and this experience and how does their race play into the world around them, you know? So I, I prefer kind of creating my own experience in that way. Um, But this is a game that very much benefits from playing from the pre made characters because they have built in quest lines and experiences. Um, But at least they did have um, aesthetic personalization. So even though we all chose pre made characters, which initially I wasn't that pleased with, we were able to uh, change aspects of their physical appearance that I think was a nice marriage between my desire to personalize the character with having this content for a character that was already preloaded into the world with a path.
3: Yeah. I come down like right in between Andrew and Del and that, because at first when I saw the pre-made character thing, I hated it as a concept. Like I wanted to create my own character. Even when Daniel told me about the game, he's like, Oh, I think you should play. uh, I think you told me you thought I should play Losa. Um, And so, and I was like, I don't. I really didn't like the idea of having that laid out for me um, ahead of time. But I think throughout the game, it gives you enough choice on how to role play the character with the dialogue choices that that you make while you're playing. Um, you have the some of the visual customization options are are fine, but I think when it, for a, from a role playing perspective, it matters a lot more like how you can respond to in your conversations with NPCs and in your inner party dialogue. Um, so I think you even if you play one of those pre-made characters, you still have a lot of choice in how you want to role-play it. It can kind of inform what you're going to do a little bit, but I, I think it, it, as we played through the game, I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would when we started. Cause the initial idea of having pre- preset characters, I did not like at all. And then by the end, I felt like I had still made my character my own. So
0: yeah, I totally agree. I'm like, I I it takes a lot for me to get into an RPG. This is one reason like JRPGs have never been a genre that I've been able to get into because they tend to not have character creation. Um, so I am like all in on character creation. Usually, like I really don't like having to play as a pre-made character or like gender locked classes. or like appearance locked classes usually are a turn-off for me. But I think everything you said is right. Like the way that. What the pre-made characters do is they provide another level of richness to the story experience. But you still, especially because you can completely customize their appearance, it really, it more feels like it's a created character that just, like, has this extra backstory. And less like, oh, I'm playing, like, Geralt in The Witcher or something, right? Like a character that is, like, has a defined personality and, like, set of goals and stuff. So I I like that a lot as well.
3: I don't want to step on your toes there, here Daniel, but I do want to in- insert for the listeners that that's a that's a big plus coming from Daniel. I know how much he loves creating characters because, like making characters as kids in games, was literally all he would do ever. <laughs> that's like, true. He well, would he mentioned Neverwinter Nights earlier? Um, and I think Daniel created like six thousand characters in Neverwinter Nights yeah. and never got out of the the pre of uh, the uh, prologue. No, it's so, wild. like. <laughs> he or uh, what's the other game? A uh, Skyrim. I I'm sure I walked by his computer on like the creator c- character creation screen of Skyrim like a hundred times. He was making a character and never
1: yeah okay. actually
3: played it. And
2: then so p- I mean a peek behind <laughs> so the veil and- is that this group is currently playing Neverwinter Nights and you are on your third or fourth iteration. No.
0: Okay, I'm on my <laughs> arguably second, mm. technically third. Mm-hmm. So. Everyone's dragging me right now, but it is I'm tr- not dragging you. I'm <laughs> just saying
3: well. it's a it's big for net for I think for uh, Divinity that you of all people did not feel like penned in by yeah. the pre created characters. And
0: I didn't. I never wanted to change my character, which is like I don't know what it is. One of my many like neuroses, but I do like I love character creation and then like c- options for like customizing characters. But I also have this like addiction to making new ones, it is crazy to me how many times I played the tutorial for Neverwinter Nights, (laughs) especially because now we're like at the time I was like seven or eight and now we're playing through it and the tutorial takes like 10 minutes and I almost never got past the tutorial. So I put like probably a hundred plus hours into Neverwinter Nights (laughs) of just like making a character, playing some or all of the tutorial, maybe a little bit beyond and then making another one. And that has, I mean, it's not that extreme for me anymore, but like, even in like World of Warcraft or like MMOs I play or whatever, like I tend to have a lot of characters. And I do think it speaks to the strength of the characterization in this game and the customization options that like I played as Fane. I thought Fane was really cool. I was able to turn him into whatever, or, like exactly what I wanted. And I never felt like, man, I really wish I could like re-roll as a different character or class. So I-, I does speak well to the the character system in this game that even I did not grow bored with it.
2: Well, maybe we should talk a little bit then about who we all chose and our feelings towards those characters. That seems like a good segue.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I played uh, Red Prince, good old RP. The Pence. Uh, and, the Pence. Yeah. The, fa- the Fesh Pence of yeah. Blair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Fesh Pence of Blair, in all his glory. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's gotta be one of my favorite like RPG characters that I've come across in a while. Like, I really because uh, i kind of fall on the opposite end of the spectrum of you guys where i tend to connect to a more defined character better and i've always really valued that and think it can lead to like better quest design and stuff but um and i yeah, I really really found myself endeared to the red prince uh in a way that like it, it engaged me more than like uh, making my own character would have what did you think of
0: his like character specific story
1: uh i i enjoyed it i almost kind of wish it would have gotten a little bit more like because some of it was kind of left on like a cliffhanger like not knowing what the future of his race was going to be or maybe we just kind of missed some of it but uh
2: well do you do you, I,
1: I really liked it do
2: you want to go into detail about what what the pince's arc <laughs>
0: i mean you you were the only character that got laid so
3: yeah, that was that That's was true. one of my that was one of my notes <laughs> for the F podcast was Red Prince sex scene question <laughs> mark That I'm was
0: so a great, totally not uncomfortable moment for the rest of us.
2: I'm so mad.
0: Yeah, I narrated that, Honestly, it for yeah, everybody. that
2: we didn't get to go through the portal to watch you make dragons with that other mm-hmm. lizard lady. It was like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. The rest of your party has to stay here in the garden while you go to the chase <laughs> and, lounge. And just
3: listen to yeah. make
2: dragon babies. So I was like, God, come on! If you're gonna put the sex scene in the game, why are you limiting it just to the one guy? Let us in! Let us in! It,
1: it wasn't really, if I remember correctly, there wasn't much of a scene. It was just kind of like the narrator guy was just like, kind of was <laughs> so like... You and didn't, which is a profoundly
3: banged. unsexual.
2: <laughs> so we didn't get to see that. Yeah. That It was dick. the
1: worst penthouse form. I
3: we didn't get to yeah, see the prince. Like a
1: No. There was no prince peen. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the best kind. Um But uh no, there, there there were some uncomfortable dialogue options about fondling breasts and things like She's that. She's a lizard
2: lady, she but uh, even have boobs. Hey,
1: she apparently can. she does. You gotta use your imagination. Oh, okay. Um but yeah. So it, it was fitting that I, I played the character that got the sex scene, I think. Um,
2: but I was just gonna say canonically also. The pence is the d- divine in our playthrough. Because oh, you gosh. did make it to the well first before Dallas came to Yeah, it all, yeah. So.
0: so like, for context, Steven and I are the two people that if you were a betting person, you probably would have pegged. Because <laughs> part of the, like, most of the narrative of this game involves each character has a god that they are, like, a champion of. And that god wants them to, like, ascend and become divine. And only one person can be divine, so, like, it and, is an interesting tension in the story. Well, because
2: the divine is a conduit for the power of the gods. Right. One, one divine for seven gods.
0: Right. And so, the whole game, or at least, like, the first two acts, you were thinking, like, okay, at some point, I'm gonna have to, like, turn on the rest of the party, or, like, decide not to pursue this. It's one of the great successes, I think, in the narrative, because it, there's, it genuinely calls into question, especially when you're playing multiplayer, like what are you going to do when you are presented with that choice? And b- when we finally got to that
4: or what pinnacle, or when we thought or what we, thought we did,
0: yeah. uh, Stephen yeah. and I, of course, were plotting and scheming. <laughs> uh, Stephen was scheming the most by far. And then, yeah. I, like, through just, like, a random confluence of events, like, all of our characters became frozen except the Red Prince, who just, like, <laughs> charged to the throne at the last second. And it was, like, a genuinely, like, like an actual narrative twist that i really enjoyed
1: um yeah i actually managed to make it to the throne and like hit the prompt to like sit on it yeah and then it took a couple seconds and it was like ah not really. yeah and the game kind of pulls the rug out front of you in a a way that like makes sense because like
0: it is a multiplayer game and uh you don't want to like it to just turn into pvp in the middle of act two but But it was um, it was a Although it it, did, it was it was a fun one. little
2: it was a fun little uh little taste of what could have been.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was- <laughs> to have
2: you two screaming, and then me being like, "Go, Bits Go, go, Bits Go, go, Bits Go!" as he's like charging, <laughs> tail swishing toward the throne. Uh, it was pretty good.
3: And I had done such a good job of scheming to put you myself in do the posi- best position. Like I was gonna be on the throne. I was the divine, and then I got frozen for. It <laughs> no was
0: reason. a real uh like, Snoke situation you got Mm. uh you got got cut down right when you thought your moment of triumph was at hand um so i will i just sort of like continue going around on the characters i like i said i played fane who is an undead eternal which is basically like the ancient aliens master race um he i actually i thought risked having too many similarities with red prince because they're both kind of like erudite and, like, aristocratic and, like, snarky. Um, But I did really like the way... Like, I liked his backstory a lot and I liked the way that his story played into the narrative. I think it arguably was more successful in weaving it into the narrative than the Red Prince's story was. Because, like, you find out at the end of the game that the demons you've been fighting from the Void, the Void Woken, are actually, like, all of Thane's race. Like, they got turned into these monsters in the void and one of the choices you have towards the end of the game is to like bring back the Eternals so like his internal conflict is manifested in the main narrative in a really interesting way so I end- I like his story a lot
2: well and there's also the issue of Dallas so the character that right. you think is your your main enemy throughout is revealed to be The only other still living eternal.
0: And Fane's daughter.
2: And Fane's daughter.
0: Which, to be honest, I didn't love as much. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think think having a character be a surprise parent is not an especially interesting trope anymore. Um, And it didn't really... I mean, I didn't hate it, but it just didn't really land with me in an interesting way. Mostly because Dallas is absent from the story for so much. Um, She's set up as an interesting villain, but then is gone. For like a lot of act two almost basically all of act two and um so when she shows up at the end it wasn't as much of an impact i think as it was intended to be
2: right
3: yeah i think if they wanted to make that a bigger impact they would have put that reveal maybe at the fountain where uh at the end of is that act two um yeah i think that would be a, a better place to then have fane like wrestling with that going forward because you've yeah. Get it right, you're in the final battle. Like, all we were thinking about at that point is like, is the end, like defeating Lucian, and like, we're at the end of the story. And so, it just didn't hit that hard right there. Yeah,
0: Are you want to talk about Sibyl?
2: Sure. So, I played as Sibyl. Um, I tend to like um, either archer, roguish type characters in RPGs, and I like again, my dragon age is showing. Um, when elves are seen as, like, lower-class citizens in a fantasy genre. Um, because, again, with Tolkien being such a, a touchstone for fantasy, I like when those things are kind of subverted in, in a modern fantasy genre. So I was kind of drawn to Sibyl for those reasons. I liked that she um, kind of had a chip on her shoulder, former slave Anyone that wants to do a big murder as their uh, overarching goal is kind of appealing to me. Um, I like that she got to do her big murder. That was good. Um, And it it worked well. I would definitely say if you don't have other people that you're playing with in the game, I think Seville is a really good pick. Um, Because, as we mentioned, you get three NPCs if you're playing solo. That you can add to your party at the beginning, and they're kind of like your adventuring team, and you can um sort of moonlight as those characters in combat or uh for other points in the story. And I think Sabile was a really good addition to our team because she was able to um do some setup stuff, um, some range attacks. Uh and Mia Sibyl was great because I hoarded everything, and that gave us a lot of arrows <laughs> at the end that uh yeah. The, the
0: other cool thing about elves in this game that breaks from, like, Tolkien lore is that they can, like, consume the memories of people who have died by eating their body parts, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it played almost no role in the story, but just, like, added another layer of, like, you can eat someone's head and, like, get a cool little soundbite about yeah. their last memories. Like, I thought that was a genuinely...
2: There were some story moments that, uh it either added to or quest lines.
0: I well, you never needed to do it to like advance the plot.
2: Right. Well, but that's the other thing is that this story you could play with any combination. Of right. Characters. You might not have an elf. right. And reach the end point, which I think is really interesting. And I think it also um, speaks to the replayability of the game. Um, if you're someone that really, really resonates with the story, you could re roll and play again with a whole different cast of characters Um, but I liked Seville. I, I gravitate toward female characters and particularly women who are, um, either trying to reshape past mistakes or sort of change their narrative. Um, so I, I, I liked her. I rolled her as an archer, but, um, I think she could also have worked as a dual wielder. I don't know.
3: Uh, I played as Losa, um. And I traditionally also like to kind of fall into uh, caster characters. Um, I often will play a glass cannon of some kind uh, or a magic user uh, in any RPG. And I also kind of uh, trend towards playing female characters in RPGs, uh, at least computer RPGs. Um, Mostly because I like to do something that's just different from myself uh, in reality, I guess. If I'm going to play an RPG, it's nice to play some really different character. Um, not just play some dude walking around with a sword and punching people. Because um, that is your so life. Because <laughs> that is that is me. That's my life. Um, so, yeah, I like to generally end up playing a female character and end up playing a caster, and so she was a natural fit for me. Alyssa's character is uh, a musician, which is something, I guess, uh, I used to be able to call myself. <laughs> um,
2: Even though we didn't realize that until you stumbled across the loot and was like, why does Losa get this loot? Yeah, she
0: plays this, like, pretty great yeah. song.
3: <laughs> it is great. Don't wait until the end of the game to play the song uh, <laughs> if you play Losa. Play it early and play it often. Because um, I had that loot in my inventory for, like, a year. Uh, 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 in IRL, a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I like that she had kind of two ways you could go with her character. Um like, I think with the Red Prince and with Fane, I don't know all of their, like, dialogue options. Uh, probably because I wasn't paying as much attention when they were talking. <laughs> um, but if they had really, like, strong choices where to go with their personalities, so I felt like with Losa, you could either be, um, you know, the sweet, innocent, want-to-save-everybody uh, lawful-good character. Or you could go in completely the opposite direction, which I, surprised to no one, <laughs> chose to go in the uh, opposite direction. Uh, the big reveal, not reveal, but I've, the big character trait and storyline with Losa is that she is possessed by a demon. So where the other characters have a god that is sort of channeling them uh, and giving them power and, and asking things of them, uh, Losa has the same thing, except it's called a demon um, and it's, it's evil uh, ostensibly, uh, who is behind her and her power. And so, uh, another like look behind the veil that's super similar to a D&D character. One of the D&D characters that I play, uh, is a warlock in a very similar situation. Um, so it was a real natural fit for me as a character and it was e- really easy for me to role play, um, cause it's, uh, a character I'm really familiar with. But as far as Playing is, um, you know, where Janelle mentioned, if you're going to play solo, playing as Sabia would be a good choice. I think uh, Losa is also a good choice to play solo because you have so much control with her different different skills you learn. That's one nice thing they do um, in Divinity as far as learning spells, learning skills you're not penned into I'm going to put all my skill points into fire and now I'm going to just use fire spells like you are in some RPGs where you have to kind of, as you level up, select one school of magic to learn and be real good at. I really spread my skill points around, um, what we growing up would have called a buffet (laughs) character. Um, And where when we were growing up playing RPGs, a buffet character is the fool's choice and the children's choice that ends up being garbage in combat Um, because of the way combat works in divinity and playing multiplayer where everybody has all these different roles and things they can do. You can pretty much do whatever you want in and make your character still be effective. You don't have to min max to get through the game. So I could spread my points around into You know, all the different elements uh, and put uh, a lot of points into polymorphing because there's just such a variety of skills to use. And so as if I was going to play the game solo, I have a hard time picturing myself playing it as any character other than Losa because you can spread yourself around skill wise and be able to manipulate battlefields and things uh, and then drop nukes on big groups of enemies if you need to. So there's just so much you can do as the magic user. I see her as a great uh, lone wolf character if that's how you want to play the game, but she also, for the same reason, is I think an essential party member because of that glass cannon major hit. If you need a big bomb dropped or the ability to, you know, teleport people around the battlefield, move enemies around, uh, heal. So she's just a super flexible character, and I really that's I think she's maybe one of my favorite characters I've played in any rpg because of that, all the, that flexibility Andy, you look like you're about to say something
0: i don't want
1: to step on it uh, i was just gonna say as usual the wizard is pretty essential in the party i would i would definitely agree with that
0: well i we can like get more in depth on the systems uh at a later point if we want to but um and i do want to but uh, correct me if i'm wrong but none of the like losa isn't locked into being a caster right like i think you could play any of the characters. As any role. Yeah, you can respect in class that you want. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like it speaks to how, like, strongly the characters develop throughout us playing it. That, like, we think, like, Losa is a wizard for us. Right. And, like, uh, yeah. Red Prince is, like, a knight character. But, like, technically you could, that's true. You could play any of them in any role. <laughs>
2: really, the only things that are locked are race and gender. So like you could not you can't
0: play Lois as a man yeah
2: you could not play Lois as a man you couldn't play Sibyl. No, no
1: red princess <laughs> right
2: you could not play Sibyl as anything but an elf right a female elf specifically but no. um I do kind of
1: yeah it's crazy I totally forgot
3: that we even had the choice of not playing as the um yeah as the yeah I, I mean that, that, that was kind of as.
2: at least partially the deciding factor in which characters we chose because we we're like oh yeah. You were like, I want to play the the warlocky wizard type, and so you want Pelosa. But in reality, we could have respect.
0: I feel like in a lot of games, and I'm just like violating my own desire to like segment the discussions into like categories now because I'm going to talk about systems. But um, in a lot of games, I tend to bounce off of like, oh, there are no classes in this game. Like you can put your skills in whatever you want, because like that ends up creating something that doesn't feel very distinct for a lot of times where, like, your character can do everything. It's one thing that, like, I think is kind of weak about the design of Skyrim at this point, or maybe just outdated, is that, like, but at the, at the end of the game, if you want, you are literally good at everything in Skyrim. And that's something I don't really like. I like to specialize. Um, So I it speaks, I think, to the strength of the systems that, like, you can technically do whatever you want. You have a lot of flexibility. You can't become good at everything you do have to make decisions but you can create a character quote-unquote class that feels very distinct like los really felt like a caster the red prince felt like a like an up-close like melee fighter um they didn't just feel like sort of amorphous player characters who like can do a little bit of everything which i think sometimes happens when games try to go for like classless systems
1: yeah i I feel like it's factored into the design really well because there's a cost like you have to go to the ship and down to the hull to respec and it's not like you can be good at everything at once. You know, like you have to make the decision and put in a little bit of effort to go changing things around. Right. So it's not like you can just open the menu and change whatever you want. And
0: you have to buy skill books, which is maybe the yeah. biggest barrier to entry. Like you do have to be thoughtful about like, what do I want to learn? because i mean unless like you can probably choose the game in some ways and like do a lot more murders and get more skill bucks uh than you otherwise would but like in general the decision to purchase a skill is like a pretty significant one especially
3: like the first half of the game
1: mm-hmm. and you got memory slots too so there's only so much you can learn yeah
3: yeah i um that's one reason i end up with a buttload of points in um and Polymorph, I think, is because it gave me extra slots. Like, I needed so much memory to to have all those spells in all those different categories. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually wanted to ask how everybody felt about the respec anytime option. Uh, that's another thing that I did not like at first. When I, saw, when I found out that was a choice you could make, I kind of like... I like the high stakes when you level up of you have to make a choice and live with that choice. Uh, if you are putting skill points in a certain place um but then late in the game i did like that i could respec. uh just with the way the game is designed with the different skills if i really you know I, you can't overload into one particular element for me as the caster like if i load everything up into fire you know mm-hmm. and then we come up against a badass enemy who's immune to fire damage it's like well this sucks um so the abilities to respec and and kind of switch up my skills a little throughout was useful and I don't feel like I used it to cheese the game or cheat my way through and I, I think when I found out you could respec I was a little worried about it being really cheesy um so just if we wanted to all give an opinion on that I think it worked out fine um but it was definitely something that gave me uh I was a little worried about it as being being a part of the game
0: I think it's essential because this game is pretty hard like, this game has a healthy difficulty curve, and some encounters especially can be, like, pretty brutal Uh, if you don't plan well in advance and have the right skills and equipment. So I think that this game would probably be too punishing if you were locked into, like, character uh, development choices. So I think you have to be able to respec.
1: Yeah. I I agree with most of what's been said. Uh, I think it works well because it's I mean, it's designed around it. You know, it's part of the challenge of the game is that you're thrown into these different scenarios where you need to like experiment or change your strategy and being able to respec into something to deal with it is like what they want you to do. Uh, and you don't have to do it so often that it's like a tedious thing. Like, it's just it's well implemented in the game because I usually don't like that kind of stuff either and prefer not to use it. But it's usually not integrated as well into other games, I think, is this one. Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Y'all uh, really kind of covered it, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it also kind of led to an interesting character role-playing choices for me because Sabeel was an archer and I put a lot of points into doing really cool bow-related things but also she had some polymorph abilities and so I could be like "Hmm, why does she have this polymorph ability is this an elf racial thing is this something that she decided to pick up along the way because she wanted to have more like trickster abilities um so I think there was a level of personalization there that if you wanted to read into it more in a way that I find very appealing, um, it could be kind of a pleasant way to customize the experience.
0: So we, this is, I'm going to propose a shift in topic if nobody objects, because we talked about the like granular parts of the story and like with respect to the characters that we played, I was wondering if, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about like the big picture narrative in the game. Like, was the story successful? What were like things that you liked and things that you didn't like? And I just sort of as a kickoff point, I, I loved this game. Like, it's not, I feel like that is probably obvious, but I sort of felt different ways about the story. Like, in times it was very successful. I think the first act is like, probably my favorite part of the game um but it it doesn't hold together completely successfully as a narrative i think like the second act drags a little bit i wasn't fully engaged in like the idea of the divine and like the stakes that were set up um and then by the end of act three it kind of felt like all right this is a lot of ramp up to this final battle um, such that like for just from a narrative perspective, it, it lost me a little bit.
1: I, I feel kind of similarly, like the main plot didn't really grab me that much. Um, but to me, that's that's not that huge of a deal. I tend to like the smaller moments anyway. And I think this game delivered a lot of cool scenarios and implications from little vignettes that you'd stumble across that, I really enjoyed that, personally. And like that's the stuff I remember. The The main plot felt kind of like standard fantasy plot, which I don't really mind that much in an RPG, to kind of rest everything else on top of.
0: Yeah, but there were points in the main story, I think, especially in the latter half of Act 2 and in Act 3, where if you had like paused the game and asked each of us to explain what we were doing like in the context of the, the main plot, we might have struggled
1: yeah <laughs> yeah. but that's I why
3: think... we have that's why we have Janelle with us is so she can tell us what's going that's on true. <laughs> that was Janelle's main role in the party
2: well I mean again my uh my specific interests in RPGs are always like ooh character motivations why are the characters doing this and the thing what is the plot that's happening right now like how do these small things and the interactions that we're having with these NPCs like tell us about the world and the state that everything is in and blah 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 Um, So I think that it really does kind of depend on how you approach the genre or this type of game specifically and what you look for in your gaming experience as far as um, how much you get out of that. So I did like kind of the little bit quests that we went on, these sort of maybe fetch type quests or, you know, little one off things um, for rounding out. Sort of the story and seeing how these larger issues, like how the resurgence of the Void Woken, and people's opinions on sorcerers, and these kind of warring factions of authority in the game, I felt like that all kind of, when you step back and look at the narrative as a whole, helped to further the story. Um, but of course there was a lot of lore, and if you're not necessarily a lore-minded person that could be troubling. Um the high points for me were high and that it had some of my favorite tr- tropey things like killing gods. In any book or game or narrative where you have to kill one or more gods, I'm in it. I love that shit. His dark materials? Yes. Murder god. Love that. Every
0: final fantasy game?
2: Yes. <laughs> god is fallible and sometimes you have to kill him. I like that. Um I also like and I don't know if there's a term for this if anyone knows it or if anyone listening knows it um where at the beginning of a story the character choices that you make or the things that you do sort of remove the other possibilities but like there are initially a lot of possibilities for who you want in your party who you want to play as but then after a certain point so for us we had um the lone wolf guy
0: Ivan said or something like that.
2: The dwarf.
0: Forget his name. Forget
2: his name. Again, but they're (laughs) gone. They were in the narrative. Yeah. They were there. And then there's the colossal shipwreck. This is another, again, Dragon Age thing where in Origins, every origin exists. But depending on who you decide to play as is who the game focuses on. And then all the other origins are wiped out. Same with Inquisition.
0: Right. Although this game is a lot more literal about that. No, like, I
2: mean, they all die in Origins. Right, but, in, but.
0: In, in in Divinity, you, like, stumble upon their source ghost. Yes. And they say, like, yeah. I'm dead now.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> I, I love that, too, where um it also, I think, feeds into this idea of replayability, where you can see very viscerally, like, oh, these people in the context of the story also could have ascended to right. God-woken status.
0: And it is wild to think about the story without... Like, without Fane or without Losa, like, you can have that experience, which is, it does speak well of the, like, the way the narrative is constructed and that they have enough interesting characters.
2: I will say, though, I don't know if it's my inexperience with CRPGs generally or if it's that I didn't play the first game, Um, but I do remember being, like, kind of blindsided and overwhelmed. The, our first session mm-hmm. of being like what is this turn-by-turn combat what is source why did why do they want to kill us why are we getting shipped to a prison where is this place on you say I don't I don't like it it came to me eventually but again it was that sort of initial feeling of discomfort and I can't really put my finger on necessarily whether it was a me thing or a game thing or a combination of both um but yeah I think it was something that generally I was able to ease into and I agree that I think that there were moments that it would be easy to get kind of lost in the sauce. Um, But as someone who loves the sauce, I didn't mind it so much.
1: Yeah, I think it was, uh, and maybe I'm just making excuses for myself, but I think it it is a little bit harder. I
2: think
1: it's a little bit harder to follow along when you're playing it with three other people because they might be like an important dialogue and you were like messing with your inventory or something it, it, you know that's on you i guess but like <laughs> it's gonna happen it's gonna happen you know you're not paying attention to what someone else is doing and you can miss stuff
3: yeah i think uh i again not to beat a dead horse like i agree with a lot of things everybody said um i think that part of our little our, our getting lost like of the daniel brought up is that the way we played the game was one time per week. We would get together and play for a couple hours. If you're playing this game solo and going through it, um, or playing with people who, or if you're, you know, if you're in high school or in college and you don't have a job and neither do your friends and you can get on and play like daily together. If you played through it in less than a year (laughs) uh, in real life, I feel like those issues of like, wait, what are we doing? Where are we? i think some of that come came down to it maybe it was two weeks in between game sessions for us because somebody had to travel to some place for work and couldn't play one week so like or two weeks in a row so we might have like it might be our our sessions might be separated by weeks and then the thing that started the quest we were on could have been in real life a month or more previous to that game session so that could easily be kind of informing that that getting lost along the way but again, luckily we have Janelle who remembers everything <laughs> to tell us why we were doing what we were doing i do it's... have
2: I do have a galaxy brain,
3: yeah, and mm-hmm. I really liked i i like what the Janelle mentioned too the uh like the side quests, even like the little fetch quests, the side quests. I'm not like a completionist when it comes to games, normally, I don't worry about getting every detail right and and finished, but throughout playing divinity, as we were moving along the entire time I was like anxious about missing something and i think that says a lot about the world that they've created and the story that you're not just like oh, i just want to go and get uh, get to alexander i want to get to the end of the act i want to level up like i didn't want to miss talking to some npc that we hadn't noticed that maybe had a quest that was going to be really important and have a cool story element to it because like, there's so many little side quests and little side stories and people. Uh, right now, I'm sitting here thinking about a uh, paladin that we talked to who wanted us to find some owl or weird thing for him. We I never did. We, did. we never did. And right now, it I'm like, upset. It's it, That owl <laughs> is haunting me right now that we didn't finish his quest. Andrew, what do you think about that, actually? Because I know you normally
0: walk the critical path. <laughs> to completion uh without deviating too much so what was how what was your experience like i
1: i used to be a lot like that because i grew up with a lot of linear games you know on like the ps2 like my formative years you know but i uh, i'm definitely more in the camp of this style of design nowadays um and uh, uh i think i was less concerned with that kind of stuff than you guys seem to be. Like, I was ready to move on to, like, Act 3, I think. And yeah, we
2: were like, fuck you, without, Andy! We have to help the without, paladin! Without, like, <laughs> sweeping
1: up everything. But, like, no, I felt that pull, too. Um, uh, I have it written down in, like, my notes. We, we took about, like, 150 hours to beat this, and not once did the quest design ever feel like it got repetitive. Or, like, it didn't feel like there was any, like, copy-paste going on. And, like, The world is really dense, and it feels like, hey, it's like oh, there's this path we missed, and like oh, there's all this stuff down it. Like it felt like the possibility space felt huge in this game. So now I definitely relate.
0: Did you? uh, Do you guys have a view about like messiah stories and whether you like them or not? Maybe you just feel lukewarm about them. I I tend to not like them, sort of in general, in in basically any kind of media. I guess Dune being <laughs> the yeah. major exception. Uh, but like especially in RPGs, it is so it is such a tired trope at this point and such a, a kind of lazy way of explaining why your character is doing important things mm-hmm. that I tend to not like it. And this game did have that and was something that I didn't like about the the main story. Um, although it subverted a little bit. Um, given that, like, everyone in the party could potentially become divine. Right. Um, But I didn't... I think I would have... I tend to prefer games where, like, your character is just, like, a normal person in the world and, like, gets caught up in important things and becomes an important person through their actions rather than, like, at the start of the game, you're told that you're the chosen one.
3: I think that maybe it was just from my character's perspective. I wasn't told I was the chosen one so much as... I was told I was going to be used for like power games by some demonic influence. So the way I looked at the storyline wasn't that I was a messianic character so much as a, a normal person in an extraordinary circumstance that was had the opportunity to, to seize power and influence. And I think I role-played the character in that way, and I think the choices the game gives you uh, at least from my perspective especially at the end game when you can choose how the story ends, like you you aren't necessarily in it to save people or to save anyone like my character's point of view was that I was being used for this for this power grab but had the opportunity to seize it for myself. And so that is kind of like more of the the regular person put into a crazy circumstance than to say like, from your birth, you were going to be the great one that would take care of all the people. Like the, I assume the Red Prince's story, basically. <laughs> um, it's like you, you are. I don't, you know, I don't know your story as much as my own, but that. So I, I, guess I didn't, I didn't feel so much of the like the messiah complex or that story for my character. I don't know if it was stronger. For, yeah, I think it, as an outsider watching Fame, Fame kind of felt like, and maybe this is just our party uh in the way we play games and interact with each other but it, maybe it's Fane maybe it was Daniel but you felt like kind of the de facto leader of the group and i think that's actually good for playing this game to have somebody who is sort of your party leader cuz every character is equal to to a certain degree um, and it helps to have somebody kind of guiding the ship guiding the ship um but maybe for Fane it felt like you were uh, a messiah character. I don't think that Losa felt that way to me.
2: Um Sabeel did not for me as well, but she had a much more tumultuous relationship with her god, in that he kind of looked at her as like well I don't like you, and I don't like that I have to do this, but you're my only option. And her being like I don't fucking want any of this. I mean, I think you could probably roll it as a character who is like, yes this is my divine right. I should be honored. But Seville was just like that. Sounds I, like Red Prince. Yes, <laughs> but but for Seville, it was much it was much more of a you don't want me in this position. I don't want to be in this position. I just want to be like free from the fetters of my old life and to you know. So with her, it was much more of like a reluctant relationship that she had with Divinity, which which is again, it is a really common trope, and that is typically how I roll with it. I don't necessarily like a character that feels shoehorned into, like, this chosen one role. But maybe that's just me liking fallibility and also murdering God.
1: Uh, I feel similarly to Dan. Um, The Messiah uh, character is a very, like, cliche uh, narrative device or whatever. But, um... I, I like in this game that like the competition aspect that there, it, it almost makes it feel a little bit more like hunger gamesy or something like that like uh there's like a group of like exceptional chosen people that are kind of pitted against each other but also they kind of have to work together uh i I find that really interesting so that kind of saved it for me yeah
0: i that was very successful I think I alluded to that before i I totally agree I think that that was the thing that made that part of the story interesting. And in the absence mm-hmm. of, like, if, if it was just that, like, player one or, like, the host of the game was, like, slated to be the divine and everyone else was just, like, a party member, it would be so much less interesting than it was. Especially yeah. for our party, like, Steven's playing Losa, and it's It's baked into that that, like, it's Steven, so we're already worried that he's going to betray us if he can. (laughs) (laughs) But then he's playing the character who has, like, the most loreful reason to betray everyone. Um, And so the whole time I'm just like, okay, we're going to get to, like, the end of this game. Or as it turned out, like, the the end of Act 2. And then Losa's just going to kill all of
3: us. That was, like, a legitimate, like, (laughs) plot tension (laughs) point
2: well daniel and i and
3: and at the end of our and at the end of our playthrough it was funny that i was the only one who made a different choice than everybody else um at, at the end uh and it i think it did come down to me to choose the end of the game so right
2: it did yeah but it also led into it that playing remotely daniel and i shared a screen and then you two had your own screens so we did depend on each other to say well what did your god say to you in in the wherever you end up talking in the divine realm and so if steven was like oh yeah it's a demon he wants me to kill all you guys we're like but is that really what he said (laughs) did he say more things did he give you a secret power like we don't know um so i think that did add an an element of uh i don't know like you're almost playing clue or something right where you could open the envelope and losa was the murderer all along you
0: know (laughs) I actually am glad that you mentioned something there. I just want to express some gratitude because I assume somebody from Larian Studios is listening. Uh, It is so great that this game included like split screen co-op combined with online play. Like that is so vanishingly rare in cooperative games or multiplayer games now. Like that was just such a, this game had so many nice like quality of life things for multiplayer. And especially for a game that was kickstarted like we have to this, talk didn't, about this the fact did not that have game I don't know like what this game's like development budget was, but it wasn't like a triple A, like enormous budget video
1: game. Yeah, I'd I'd call it like a double A. Yeah. So like yeah.
0: they had a good they had a, they had a fair amount of resources, but like this was not like the next Elder Scrolls game. And like there's right. so much like craft and polish and like consideration of things and the multiplayer was just something that I especially Feel like really genuine appreciation for.
1: Yeah, um, R.I.P. Script Split Screen. We haven't see <laughs> that anymore. Do we want to take a break? Sure, let's. Do. Or do we want to keep on trucking? we gonna do a quick. Uh, want to the money zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you have to cut out that money zone thing because then we're gonna get sued. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. So yeah, I had so I, I like the the train of thought we had going there, and I have some notes relating to it. But we'll talk about that more after the break. After the break. After the break. (laughs) Is
3: that a thing that we do? We all say after the break? Yes.
1: We usually (laughs) try to do it in unison, but since we're not in the same room, uh, I will accept the round that we had. Welcome back from the break. Before we left, uh, it had been thrown out there that this game was uh, partially funded on Kickstarter, and I figured that'd be a good place to jump back in. Because Larian Studios had already been a pre-existing studio. Uh, It's not like an indie developer or anything. Uh, They did actually have a game in this series before Divinity Original Sin 1 that was called Divine Divinity, the redundant title there uh from 2002 and the original divinity original sin was a prequel to that and divinity original sin 2 takes place after it which is kind of confusing but uh that's what i found out from my uh my googling this morning
0: they also have like a traditional like a more traditional rpg that is also in the divinity franchise um
1: yeah that, there are think- a couple of other like related games in there as well. Yeah,
0: like there's one I think you play is a character that can like turn into a dragon. That was like the big Maybe I'm mixing it up with another game. But there there's a surprising number of entries in this franchise.
2: Yeah. I just think it's a it's like a a Cinderella story of fan relating to the uh, creator because the fact that they were like, "Hey, we would love some funds." And some support ahead of time. And the Kickstarter response was just massive. Um, And then for them to create a product that, based on all the reviews that I've seen and based on our experience, I think worked extremely well. I think that it was, you know, a really great use of crowdsourcing. And uh, it kind of speaks to people's desire for games like Divinity Original Sin 2.
0: Well, the, it like, I mean, not it was acclaimed in its time obviously, but I my sense is, is it's regarded as like now one of the best RPGs, just period. Um, which is like an I don't know if you could imagine like a bigger success story for this game. Like it is it borderline a masterpiece of the genre.
3: Yeah, I think the fact that uh Larian is doing Baldur's Gate 3, it really speaks volumes to how great Divinity 2 was. Because right. I don't I don't think they'd be doing that if that wasn't the case.
1: No. Yeah, with my limited experience, like playing a chunk of Baldur's Gate and a chunk of Neverwinter Nights, like this really does feel like it's kind of closed the book on this kind of design. Like it's hard to imagine how you could improve the CRPG much more than this.
3: I think yeah. we'll find out next year when yeah. Baldur's Gate 3 comes out. I mean yeah, I,
1: very very excited. I
3: don't think I've
0: ever been more excited for a game than I am for Baldur's Gate 3, and it's because like I I it, Larian is like the dream studio to do it. Like it's it's almost unbelievable to me that we have the good fortune that they did get tapped to, to do it. Cause like there's <laughs> no one else you would want to do this. Like it just makes so much sense that they're gonna do Baldur's Gate 3. And it's because like this gets into something I mentioned in the very beginning, but Divinity feels very much like a sort of wonderful evolution of what is like a really old and traditional genre in a way that I think like basically nobody had done. So like we mentioned at the beginning, these games were really popular, like a mainstay of like computer gaming for a while and then kind of disappeared. And I've been playing Dragon Age Origins a lot lately, which I think exists as sort of an interesting crossroads because Origins was made at a time where, like, when you made RPGs, you still stuck fairly closely to, like, the Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate kind of model. And obviously that game was innovative in its own ways uh, and is a really great game, but still adhered to, like, a lot of the traditional kind of design sensibilities. And then from there, like the genre changed in ways that a lot of people weren't happy with. Like two was much more of an action game and was a lot lighter on a lot of the systems and like role-playing game, traditional role-playing game elements. Inquisition, although which I also think is a great game, like further streamlined things and made it like made the combat more action oriented. And the way that Bioware evolved in like Mass Effect series and the, this genre in general is, like, it, it made a decision that worked out pretty well, given that, like, it made a lot of money and made a lot of very successful games that, like, you had to go away from the traditional model, make something that is, like, easier to jump into, more user-friendly, more streamlined, and, like, strip down a lot of the elements of, like, the traditional game. And what is so interesting about Divinity is it's, like, almost feels like a different evolution line of starting from the same place it's like what if companies just like kept making like the Neverwinter Nights and Baldur's Gate games and like kept just innovating on the original like the core sensibility of those games instead of like going in a different direction because it's, it's very much like the evolved form of those games because there are like like the Pathfinder games or some other like there are games that are made now that basically, to me, like when I play them, just feel like this is like a throwback to Baldur's Gate and doesn't really innovate on it in any interesting ways. Whereas Divinity feels like like the next step in like the evolution of those games, and obviously there like is a big appetite for them because this game was so successful.
1: Yeah, it's like like you mentioned Dragon Age and other like AAA and Mass Effect. Like in AAA stuff like that, feels like it has to follow those trends as games get more expensive to produce they have to like oh like these open world things are popular so make it like that and it D stuff is confusing to people so get rid of that mm-hmm. and just do like a simple skill tree thing that's in every game now um and yeah this is for those people who liked that stuff right you know, like it's a it's a throwback in its sensibilities, but it is like a modern, uh, like reimagining or retooling of that style. That yeah, like as you said, like we I don't I can't think of another example of it. No,
0: and like I, I don't even know what Baldur's Gate would look like. A Baldur's Gate three would look like in my mind if it wasn't for Divinity. Like I, it, yeah. it showed a way to do these games in like a modern way while retaining that original sensibility whereas like I would have just thought of Gate 3 was going to be like a super niche game that like only like a small group of people would really be interested in playing so like this kind of like showed that there's a whole like genre I feel like out there that that people want to play um, that had not been tapped into for a long time Mm -hmm. and I still really like the Mass Effect games, and I like Dragon Age. Like I know a lot of people are very unhappy about Dragon Age Inquisition. Like I like, I think that is a very good game.
2: Well, I mean, you can you can like many different kinds of RPGs, and it's not that one is better or worse than the other. But I just feel like Divinity did scratch an itch that wasn't being attended. To that got weird that was a weird <laughs> metaphor but you know what i mean there there it, it
1: exactly yeah. it
2: it does something different
1: right. and you
2: don't necessarily have to abandon one for the other i just think it's really refreshing that they um made the choices that they did in in a market that's you could think is potentially oversaturated with a modern action rpgs
0: right and it's a risk that like a major studio probably wouldn't be willing to take right which is why it's like the big success story for crowdfunding.
3: I think it just, the one great thing about Divinity for us is that it just suited the way we wanted to play the game that I mentioned earlier, like playing once per week for a few hours. So I think it sets up really well, the uh, the multiplayer, it sets up really well for people who are like us, who are like in their late 20s or some of us in our early 30s, uh, who like still want to stay in touch. Who with can stay together. Who, who knows how old we might be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Scientists still aren't sure, but people who want to stay in touch and play games remotely, like something that is super action focused isn't as great for that as something like this where it's more a little more story driven and all the turn based uh, combat really gives you time to individually you know think about what you're going to do. And I just think it's set up really well for that. So I like it's been said multiple times, I think there's a big market for that style of game for this style of game and I really hope that more games like this come out yeah what what one thing that this
0: does that is a departure from Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights is the turn-based combat and I am somebody who would have like there are plenty of turn-based games that I like like I it was I really like Final Fantasy Tactics and but I, I would have push back on the idea of turn-based being an improvement over real-time with pause which is like the classic crpg combat system but i actually like love love the turn-based combat in this game i mean the combat is great for a lot of reasons but if i had the option to if i could like pick for Baldur's gate 3 whether they had real time with pause or turn-based i would want the system from divinity which is what they are implementing so
3: yeah I 100% agree like it's what goes a long way to make this feel almost like we're playing D&D which is high praise
1: yeah I agree uh it it feels weird to play like Neverwinter Nights which we're playing now which has that action system like the turn-based combat just makes so much more sense in this kind of game I think
2: well it it allowed us to work as a team and to sort of set up things for each other you know so maybe steven might teleport someone that was now within daniel's range so he could spike you know whatever necromantic shit down the enemy's throat that we could you know so it was a it was a lot more of us working collaboratively rather than a lot
1: more like strategy
2: right
3: And the combat is hard enough that it requires that. Like, you can't just bullshit your way through this game. You have to discuss what you're doing and work together. Yeah, you can't just have, like, a DPS and a tank and a healer
0: and play the game, like, in a very straightforward way. Like, it, it will punish you pretty hard if you don't... If you aren't thoughtful about things and, like, actually utilize the systems. But that never feels like, a bad thing, because it actually feels really satisfying to engage with most of the systems. So, like, it actually, Mm -hmm. it sort of forces you to play it in a more engaged way, and ultimately is more rewarding for that reason. There's not just, like, an overpowered skill or, like, approach to the game that, like, you can just reliably take. Um, especially like, the movement, like, positioning is super, super important. Like, we discovered pretty early on that, like, the teleport skill would take would be the difference between an encounter being, like, close to impossible and, like, fairly manageable. Um, even just using teleport, like, a couple of times to, like, put an enemy in a key position or, like, put them in a spot where they can't hurt somebody. Uh, so, like, all of that stuff just felt, like, super satisfying to use. It, like, it made you feel, like, smart for getting it and for, like, using it, which I think is, like, what you want a system to do
1: yeah it really rewards you for like experimenting with it mm-hmm. like like you said with the teleporting like i could imagine playing this myself and not figuring that out till like halfway through you know right and th- and like there's other stuff we learned like we could like draw enemies away with like ranged attacks and you know like do sneak attack damage and like bef- it's stuff to give you like an it like a, a leg up in battles yeah, uh, that it, it doesn't feel like you're cheesing the game. It's
3: also the way that the battlefields are, are organized and created is to use three dimensional space and to use different surfaces. So, you know, especially early on with oil surfaces, they're everywhere. And you've got to be number one, aware of using those to your advantage to burn a bunch of enemies up. And number two, aware of not killing all your party members. Right. Like for me, for me as the caster, especially early when my skills are a little more limited and it was a bunch of area of effect spells, I couldn't use my big damage stuff maybe 80% of the time because somebody's dumbass walked into some oil. (laughs) And it was like, maybe not even close to the enemy, but it was connected via some route where if I hit this enemy, then it's going to just roast somebody on our team. So that, that definitely, like... It turns
2: out uh, it made Steven a more conscientious and collaborative player. Who would have known? Yes,
3: Yes, I had to actually pay attention to where everybody was. And a lot of times ended up just apologizing. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because I would a lot of times be, while it was somebody else's turn, I'm paying attention to what they're doing, but I'm also planning ahead for what I'm going to do. So that's one nice element about this turn-based combat is there's so much you can do on your turn, given three-dimensional space, like, where you want to, where you want to move, where you want enemies to move, where you need them to move to so that you can be most effective, and you know, the area of effect of different skills and spells, I would spend most of your guys' turns, like, calculating who could, if I I had to hit one of you, who could take the damage, (laughs) and like, would it be worthwhile to do this damage? Where, you know, can I group these enemies in a way that'll be most effective? So it really felt like a it's a thinking man's combat system, for sure, which I really appreciated. Yeah, the... Yeah, and Sorry, go ahead, Andy.
1: I was just going to say, that there's like an extra layer there, too, that you were getting at, where you just use the fireball, even though your party member's standing in oil, because you know they can take it because they have the magic armor, uh, which we hadn't brought up the armor yet. And so like sometimes that's the ideal move, is to just hit your party member because they can take it, and you can also kill, you know, an enemy in the sa- at the same time. But you
2: know a healer's coming up next in the round, so if they need a buff, the healer can take care of it, and... Yeah,
0: yeah the turn order mattered a lot. I yeah. do... I'm glad you mentioned the armor system, Andy. I, I liked it a lot. I thought it added, like, just enough complexity, but was, like, still easy to understand. Like, there's no confusion about, like, okay, damage, either damages magic armor or damage is physical armor. And, like, you need to strip one or the other for certain abilities to, like... Like, secondary effects are so important in this game and, like, crowd control abilities that, like, so much of your strategizing is thinking, like, okay, like, who can we strip of magic armor so we can charm them? Or, like, who can we strip of physical armor so we can knock them down so they don't take a turn? It's not just about... Like, just about doing large numbers of damage was almost never a consideration, right? Like, it was all about... Either putting somebody in position where they were no longer a threat physically, like using space, like Steven said, or like strategically doing magic or physical damage so that we could apply effects on people. And it was so it wasn't just like all right, we need to do ten thousand damage <laughs> to this person. Yeah, and that... yeah,
1: you had to like whittle them down first before you had to worry about dealing damage.
3: Right? And I think that the way the game set up is really balanced between mm-hmm. that physical army and that magic armor. And there's different use the usefulness of spells to either make them unav- unavailable in combat or physically make them unavailable. To where it you didn't just need your your fighter to to hit for a shitload of damage or your wizard to hit for a shitload of damage. Where you know there might have there were I'm sure a number of fights we went into where I maybe didn't cast any damaging spells. Like if right. if we were going up against. Enemies who had low, relatively low physical armor, but a bunch of magic armor, I would spend all of my time and energy focused on buffs and moving people around and just managing the battlefield, which is rewarding, super rewarding in its own way, and you feel like you're an important part of the team in doing that, but I might not cast a damage spell for an entire encounter if it's not going to be particularly useful, whereas... You guys are all doing physical damage, and if I'm not contributing any physical, then I, all I'm going to do is, I want to put make sure I put you in the right place to be as effective as you can be.
2: Yeah, Sabiel and Losa had a really great working relationship of, hey, can you pop me up on that uh, <laughs> right. tower, place? Yeah,
3: whatever, whatever tall thing you needed to be on, yeah. I would make
0: sure that you I, got on that tall thing. I mean, I hardly did any damage the whole game. <laughs> I mean, really. Like, my, Fane had, well, like, two damage abilities. And then otherwise, yeah, he summoned and, like, buffed and, and healed, which I love. Like, I absolutely love, well, like, the role I was able to play. Yeah, in, that was a it. great
2: character for you, specifically. Right. Um, and again, that's why I didn't mind the, uh, being able to change, kind of, your specs so frequently. Because sometimes you might get into an encounter and realize, like, oh, we're much more weighted toward physical damage, like... We need someone who can do more magic damage. I need to take more magic damage spells. Or you might say, like, oh, I can do nothing if someone is up in my face. I need to get this wand that has a little bit better as far as, like, a a 1v1 melee action. Or, you know, oh, I need to prepare this spell because I realize that teleportation is really important.
3: Or I'm the Red Prince and I keep getting blown away by anything magical, so maybe I want to take a little bit of magic armor. So I, I wanted to mention,
0: I think there are two other things that like, I would be upset if I didn't mention about the combat system. The first is, like, one of the most genius things about this system and why it works so well is it is turn. it manages to realize turn base without a grid map system, which is, like, I, I I'm super. Maybe the most impressive, like, single thing this game does is like the kind of like real realistic spacing in space, but still having a turn-based system. Uh, I think that like a grid system would be way less fun and interesting than this. Uh, would have yeah, they been.
1: They do movement really well.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that that makes you utilize the systems and makes using them rewarding is. The difficulty in general and, like, the way the AI is, like, plays to win. Like, the the AI will... Every single enemy will attack your weakest character if you give them a chance and kill them as soon as they can. Like, it, there is not, like, a kind of player-friendly, like, oh, you can aggro the enemy if you're close to them and you're the tank. Like, they will, like, walk through fire to kill your weakest character if that's the smartest thing for them to do and I like at times that can make the the battles frustrating in a way because they were really challenging like somebody's getting killed in the first turn of some of the fights but it also like made it that much more rewarding because like you were actually going up against an opponent that was like playing to win and it didn't feel like alright like I'm smarter than this computer and I like I can kind of I can stack the odds in my favor in a way that this isn't that challenging. I think yeah, it comes. And to- the- Sorry, go ahead. You can go ahead.
3: I was just gonna say it comes back to the like that D and D feel of your your computer opponent feels like a real person. It feels like you're playing against a DM who knows who the weakest player is and how to fuck up your party, and so they're gonna do that. So it's kind of playing against a shitty mean DM in <laughs> combat sometimes.
1: Yeah, and. A lot of the enemies can use a lot of the same abilities as you. Like it doesn't. It, you know, yeah, it it feels like you're on equal footing with the enemies a lot of the time, which adds a lot, I think.
3: Yeah, and there are abilities the enemies have that you can't access. There are yeah. several spells that are are like void creature only spells. Like void glide is one that comes to mind. Um, but I know there's several others that I would get hit by from an enemy and be like, how the fuck am I going to learn that spell? That was awesome um and never could so it just there are some like enemy specific spells and abilities which i think is cool rather than just giving them the same kind of generic skill set that your characters would have
1: yeah and they stack the deck against you sometimes where a lot of other games do the opposite
0: yeah but there are very frequently ways that you can even the playing field which is which Mm -hmm. is not like in that final the final battle of this game felt appropriately hard when we played it Surely we played it more times than any other yeah. fight in the game. uh um, sessions for sure. And like yeah, one of the ways that we were able to finally beat it was like we get we got teleported to that the like void realm and there was that one little island, and we were like, what's like what if we just teleport like a couple of the melee guys over there? Like are they gonna be able to like leave it? And it turns out the answer was like no, they can't. <laughs> Which is like that's part of the game design, right Like that is not like a like an exploit that's like sometimes you have to do things like that to even the playing field so that you have a chance, which I really like.
1: yeah, it respects your intelligence.
3: One of my notes was that this game in combat it always feels like there's something meaningful that you can do like on your turn, I never have the turn or rarely have the turn where I was like, okay, I'll just like attack this guy. And then I guess that's all I can do. There's it, it always felt like if I'm not doing more, it's my own fault for not seeing it. Then for the game's, it's definitely not the game's fault for, like, giving me nothing I can do here and making this combat impossible. Like, no matter what situation we were in, it felt like there's a way out of this if we can figure it out. If I can figure out where to put my character or what to do. Um, and so it all felt like your turns were, every turn was super meaningful. In combat, uh, which I really appreciated.
1: Yeah, you just gain you gain a big advantage from using your brain in a way that like not a lot of games deliver on. Were there? Uh, Go ahead. I I was just gonna say another uh, thing I think of as a pillar of the combat system that we mentioned but didn't really talk about is like the elemental like environment manipulation. Uh, I just I like how like that operates under, like, a logic and is, like, fairly intuitive. Like, there would be some times where uh, we couldn't see through smoke when we thought we should be able to, but for the most part, it always felt like it worked the way you thought it would work, and uh, I I I just thought that was pretty successful.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think that, like, the instances where we couldn't see through smoke, it was less that I was frustrated with a game being, the combat being designed in a way, like, that smoke blocked your vision. It's more like, God damn it! like, if I, if I could just see through this smoke, then I'd be able to do exactly the thing I want to do, um, but you just had to find a different way to make it work. And it's, it's yeah. something Janelle
0: mentioned a couple minutes ago, but, like, the different surfaces were one way, one of the key ways of this game let you, like, work with the other players in your party in ways that felt fun, like, you were, like, really working together, so, like, if, I like if we were fighting an enemy that had really low magic armor, but really high physical armor, I could like have Losa like cast fireball so that when I summon my incarnate guy, he's like fire imbued. So all his attacks do magic damage. like that kind of interplay is also felt really satisfying and, and it felt more like teamwork oriented in a way that it otherwise
3: wouldn't have. And you had to remember to put nails on your shoes so you wouldn't fall down on ice. That's true. (laughs) You had to put. I took a long time to put nails on my shoes
1: for really no reason. I I sure did as well.
3: (laughs) I always made sure there were nails in my shoes after watching (laughs) the Red Prince fall down every combat.
1: Yep. There's a lot of little like supplemental systems like that that it can be easy to like just not even notice yeah, or forget about. I feel
3: like we didn't really get into the crafting system, which is super extensive in this game, uh, which is something yeah. I usually don't get into in games anyway. So I'm not surprised that I didn't get into it. Um, but, you know, for hoarders for of things in their inventory, like Janelle, it's <laughs> kind of something maybe she could have or would have been more interested in as the crafting tables because who knows what kind of crazy shit she could have made with all those things that she had. Uh-
2: love crafting in games i do i don't (laughs) i know um but no in skyrim like my arcana blacksmithing everything was always like off the charts because i was constantly making armor and then just immediately crawling my way to sell it because my inventory (laughs) was now so full like there's just something really satisfying about it to me um animal Uh, crossing
0: unlike chad the DIY. You didn't like crafting in Skyrim <laughs> so that you could name your items things like the exquisite Scrope Smasher?
2: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, but, I
3: So, g- given that you like crafting so much, I felt like you didn't really do any in Divinity, right?
2: Well, I was going to bring that up. It just... Uh, I don't want to shit on my party members who will remain <laughs> unnamed. I don't. Scientists still aren't sure who I played the game with. Um, but it's—it it is really hard in a multiplayer environment like that to necessarily do those kinds of things when other people are not right as motivated.
0: You feel like you're like you're holding a also Exactly.
2: Yeah. Um that's I usually like playing solo games for that reason, where I can just log a dumb amount of hours into crafting shit or like doing the weird minutiae things like Daniel can remake his character 27 times in a game and no one will judge him for that. <laughs> I can true. craft all day, you know? So I, I think that is something that was maybe lost to me a little bit, but, um, that's okay. I mean, yeah, we could have had, we could have had some dope shit, but you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, I felt like there was so much stuff in the game. Like it felt like we were always finding new armor and weapons Especially with Steven looting everything That was going to be my next uh, uh, in thing existence. to bring up, actually. Yeah, it, it never really felt like we needed to. Like, there was never a point where I was like, oh, I should craft some better armor. Because I was always getting better armor, you know?
2: I was not. I got nothing. My armor was so bad. I died all the time because I was not as adequately protected as y'all. So maybe if I had gotten to craft, it would have been so, better for me.
3: So speaking of the loot... How did you guys feel about the loot system in this game compared to, like, there are systems where we would each individually, like, see different loot in all scenarios and, like, all have an equal access to it. In Divinity, it's not that way. Like, whoever grabs it, grabbed it. And it was almost always me. Um, (laughs) So, or, but, which I will also, uh, I want to defend myself a little bit on my looting. (laughs) In that I never got quest loot. Thane always got quest loot, and so did Sabeel. Uh They got lots of loot from every quest we ever did because they would always talk to the NPCs to like initiate well, I quests. Why was the most persuasive? And, and whose so, fault is it that you
2: don't want to sit and talk to people?
3: I didn't want to. Hey, we're all role playing our characters in our own ways, and my way was to not talk <laughs> to people and to let you guys. Uh, do all the, t- you guys were, you know, Fane was the face, he put on a face. F- and Fane it, was he, the
2: face with his yes. skull face. I didn't have a face
3: he, ripper. Yeah, he Very ripped easy. a face. Yes, he did. To start the game, he had to rip a face. So it Fane did. ripped a face and became the face, and was the most persuasive, so of course he's going to talk to everybody. And I had my telekinesis ability, which allowed me to loot things from afar, <laughs> um, which was <laughs> moderately, it was, I mean, there were definitely scenarios in which that ability was useful. Um, and so I'm glad I had it. It was most useful in looting things before anybody else could get to them though. <laughs> uh, so I did a lot of looting. Uh, so as a, as the person, as the person, maybe as the characters who didn't benefit from that system as much, how did you guys feel about that system? Cause usually sh- like typically if I found something that I thought you could use, I would tell you about it. Um, And not just, like, hoard it and sell it. Like, I sent... Every time I got an arrow of some kind, I sent it to Sabile. Every time I got a bomb of some kind, I sent it to the Red Prince. Because he was going to use them in combat. Especially the glitter bombs. Yeah.
0: I I do think... (laughs) I'm good with the... (laughs) I'm good with the system the way it was. I think... In... I can't think... Like... I mean, there just aren't that many co-op RPGs like this to compare it to. But, like... In, like, World of Warcraft, for example, the reason you have your own... Eventually, this wasn't always true. Like the reason you loot bodies, like independently of other players, they can also loot those bodies, is like you're playing with strangers that don't have any incentive to cooperate with you. So like it's like a zero sum game. It, this game is like you have every incentive to like make sure that everyone is equipped adequately because otherwise they're not going to pull their weight in the encounters and like it's going to be bad for you. So I I'm fine with the system the way it was, and I thought despite your rampant greed, you did dole out the stuff you picked up mostly equitably. Although you always had a shield that had like 3,000
3: armor more than uh, whatever shield I had. Well, we're both <laughs> shield users, so I have to keep the best shield for myself. And if I have another one that's decent, I'll, I'll give it to you. I also, I, a sidebar on that real quick, I, I, want, I do want to continue with that question, but sidebar, I did appreciate that this game allowed the caster to put on some fucking armor thanks to shields. Like, yeah. if it wasn't for my shield, I would have been so squishy, it would have been embarrassing, and I would have probably been killed in most encounters. But the fact that I'm allowed to use a shield uh, let me put on a little bit of armor to where I felt durable. Like, I, even though I was the caster, I was able to take a hit and not just get one-shotted by a boss battle. So thank you, Larian, for for that. <laughs>
1: Uh, I was going to say also in Steven's defense on the looting thing, uh, I think they want you to do that. Like, I do think there's an element of competition, like it almost kind of feels like gauntlet a little bit where they want you to compete for the loot. And we never really engaged in this, but like you can sabotage the other players if you want, like you can attack your party members, you can stab them in the back, you can poison them, you can do like whatever and fuck with each other if you want to play it that way. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's fun that that's in there that like you can compete for the loot in the dungeon, even though I'm not super competitive and probably got the least loot of anybody. Uh, I enjoyed that. It was in there. Also,
3: it, it, it helps to have that one character doing, going for all the loot greedily, because think of all the stuff we would have missed if I didn't grab it. No, that's like, you are, you, so you all walk, you all walk past a lot of stuff that right. I just like, I was holding down shift the entire time, which highlights the stuff (laughs) around you. Like, that's how I played the game, was highlighting the loot. And so, think about all the good shit you would have missed out on. It's
0: alright. Andy is right that those subsystems are important, because the way that we kept your looting in check was... I usually would have Janelle pick your pockets before you joined every session to make sure that you weren't hoarding anything. (laughs) And I wasn't hoarding (laughs) anything. No, you weren't. That's how we kept you honest, though. (laughs) Just a peek behind the curtain we haven't discussed before. (laughs) I
3: did did not know that you didn't trust me that much that you're checking my inventory. But that is true. You don't even have to pickpocket, you can just look at other people's inventories. And that's where I would look at Janelle's inventory and get really frustrated that she had so much shit in her inventory that she didn't use in fights. (laughs) Like if we had a tough boss battle, it's like oh you had forty charm arrows just sitting there that you didn't use. But then punch. at the end of the game, at the <laughs> end of the game, <laughs> it was so useful.
1: Yeah. That, uh-huh. that's a classic RPG thing. It's like save all the consumable items to the end. Um, I do that shit too. Were there any
0: combat encounters that were especially memorable for you guys? I
1: well, I got.
0: Go ahead. I feel like we might have the same one. My favorite like dungeon in the game by far.
1: Now, this was not in a dungeon oh, yeah. this was in act two in the overworld uh there was an encounter with probably like 50 oil blobs oh, yeah. yeah like up until the end that was the hardest fight in the yeah that game, was super hard. i thought like that was a huge difficulty spike for us we probably spent two and a half sessions yeah that's like
3: four hours of real life time trying to fight those blobs. yeah
1: so I I thought that one was really interesting, and there was the NPC involved that you could free to like help you. Yeah. Uh, part way through, like that one really stands out in my mind. I think
3: another reason that one stands out a lot is because it, for me, it kind of changed the way I play the game. Honestly, it really informed me going forward that I could not load up on one element and be effective. Sure. Like I, yep, I
1: it, we teleported shit all yeah, over the place in that fight.
3: I felt really ineffective in a lot of ways in that fight because of the oil everywhere i couldn't use any fire because if i used any fire spells then everybody is getting fucked up like everywhere which is obviously the way they designed it they wanted it that way and so i think that really informed my mixing of skills which i ended up really preferring to specializing one specific area
0: that was also the that was the first encounter that taught us to use the bless mechanic in like a like a meaningful way
1: the blessed fire yeah because
0: like the fire kept getting cursed and like was a huge problem and so like up until that point there hadn't been that much incentive to engage with that but like afterwards i felt like i learned from that encounter so like actually think about whether you can use
3: the blessed skill in a useful way yeah another reason that encounter is i think important narratively is like we said you said somebody said about the npc that you could involve in a positive way i think that's a big thing divinity does is like with it's NPCs. You can make the choice to let them live or die a lot of the time, yep. and we we weren't going around just doing a bunch of murders, like and cheese in a game. Like we were trying to really role play this this world, and we had a lot of those choices. Do we let this guy live or not? And to be
2: fair, we did do a lot of murder.
3: We did do a lot of murder. You're right, but, but as far as extra, <laughs> as, far less as than like could have. yeah, right. extra unnecessary murder because you know if if I'm sitting there and and. Well, like, one of the things I looked up after, or while we were playing the game, was when, before we have left Act 1, I googled, like, is there anything I'm missing in Fort Joy? And, because I didn't want to leave anything behind, which I kind of hit on before, like, I want to make sure I got every meaningful side quest. And so I just looked it up online, like, is there something I missed? 99% of the response to that was, go back and murder everybody now that you're super high level. Right. Like... Everybody was recommending on Reddit and the Steam forums just, like, go back and destroy everything and pick everybody's pockets because you're way too high level for them to do anything about it. And so you'll leave Act 1 with a shitload of loot and two levels higher than you would have normally. It's like, well, that's not fun. Yeah. Um. So we didn't do that. There was way more murder on the table we could have done. Um. But anyway, I think that for that blob fight, it definitely gave you that, like, here's a man about to be hung. What do you want to do about it? Yeah. And is he gonna is he gonna be useful to you or not? So I like that it gives
0: the play like there is so much freedom of choice in this game, and I like that I that's one thing I really like about it. Like, it trusts you to play it in a way or like create an experience that you're gonna enjoy, and doesn't like hamstring like the options you have to try to like funnel you into having a certain experience. So if you want to go into town and kill everybody <laughs> to take all of their stuff like that's on the table if you want to do it um if you if that's not like going to contribute to you enjoying the game which it wouldn't for us you
3: don't have to do that all right Dana, what was your big fight that uh stood out for you oh yeah um
0: well i know i think you two are gonna agree and i know that unfortunately and like this is the only black mark on an otherwise great encounter and maybe my favorite session uh is Janelle didn't enjoy it is the, um, the one where it split the party up. Yeah. Oh. That was awesome. Uh, like, total curveball. Everyone was separated and, like, had to figure out how to reconnect with everyone else
1: in yeah, their own way. That.
0: And it was, like, it felt, it was just hard enough. Just long enough. Like, it was, I just loved that dungeon. It was, it, again, it was probably my favorite combat encounter in the game. Unfortunately Janelle died like very early in that and because we were separated she just like didn't get to play for most of the session.
2: Yeah, someone had to just come and find me. Yeah. Dead in a corner. If, in a cave. if
0: you had got to have the experience the rest of us did, I would have I think that would have been like close to like a perfect like little slice of the game. It was yeah, so good.
2: It was just it's hard because I played very much as kind of the assist character. Um, I didn't necessarily have like huge DPS. I didn't have great defensive anything. My armor was pretty weak. Um, So I really did rely a lot on you guys to sort of either back me up or um, give me openings, uh, move me around. I did have great movement as well. Um, Not that that helps when you're surrounded by a bunch of fucking spiders (laughs) in a cave. Well, I also think
3: you (laughs)
0: got dropped into, like, the
3: deadliest part of the cave Uh yeah Yeah, you were at the end part of the cave like the final room yeah that was a tough spot to be in I think that that dungeon design I think for when it separated us out individually it it definitely helped for me and I think for me and fame we probably had the easiest time for our characters because I had the ability to escape combat if i needed to through teleporting or through moving enemies around or through a variety i, I had a, a lot of avenues open to me as the wizard character and i think fane had a lot of options open as the summoner to like let the incarnate do all the dirty work for him while he stayed safe yeah um, and so i think for both for like any other character for for sibio as the rogue or for the red prince as the fighter like they had a harder time of that dungeon being separated so i think it helped that I found I think I fell in the Red Prince pretty early often like you spent you mm-hmm. once you hacked down like one door we ended up kind of linking up early and and that yeah. helped to take it on together where I think we fought like one void woken monster for a long time yeah like it was like it was a long time of me you know re like i would i would switch places with you go heal come back yep. switch places with you go heal come back teleport him go heal come back like i came in and out of that one fight with that void woken at least 4 or 5 times
1: but i love uh, probably that, more uh, like that but part.
3: yeah it gave it's like how can the two of us survive this that goes back yeah. to my earlier point of like it always feels like there's something you can do in this game to get out of a fight or to win a fight so even given it was a way harder monster than i could take on by myself but just having Having the red prince there, so where we could like swap places and each of us take turns go and heal, like it made that that impossible encounter possible to beat. We just had to be like smart and patient.
2: I just look like it's a great. Oh, I just look like the angry penguin meme the whole time. Penguin, <laughs> where you know he's got the towel on his head and he's got his arms folded and he's like, mm, yeah, claymation penguin. That was me. <laughs> i'm Glad you all had a good time though. <laughs>
1: Now it's a great example of like taking the safety net away. Uh in you see this in games from time to time where they just like take your crutch and they get rid of it. Like you can't rely on the other players to help you and you have to like be like oh shit and reevaluate what you're doing. Like you know it it tests your er testes, tests your uh yeah it tests your test family podcast? Uh, oh sorry, <laughs> Leave that out <laughs> like your your adaptability, like your your ability to react to the situation. Yeah, I think we were little, in an interesting one. I think
3: we were a little surprised at least I was a little surprised that we didn't just die immediately. like I know Seville died immediately, but the rest of us um didn't, and it almost felt going into that dungeon, like it was one of those game moments where you're supposed to lose. Like you're supposed yeah. to all die. You're 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 all gonna die and then the god will come and tell you some shit. I think we even discussed you, right? that at the time. We yeah, thought we're like, like are we supposed yeah. to get killed here? But then we didn't, and we found a way to live through that. Right. And it it was all in one session too, I think. Uh maybe I think we I think we went into that dungeon at the end of a session, then started a new one there. But it wasn't like we didn't go weeks in real life of not sure if we were supposed to be there or not. Like it fit in a two hour or three hour span. Um, and we were able to, like, kind of really slowly work our way through with a lot of, a lot of, uh, careful thought and strategy in every encounter. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with Daniel. That's, that's another, possibly my favorite, uh, dungeons in that game.
2: Uh, I liked killing my former slave owner, especially because I'm like, I'm gonna fucking talk to this guy, and I think, I think he's my slave owner, and I think we're gonna have to kill him. And y'all were like, "Fine, I guess we'll stop and talk to this guy." And lo and behold, I was correct. He was very, I, and that was also um, part of the Red Prince's storyline.
1: Yeah, he was related to me as well. He was like my rival yeah. for the throne or whatever. Yeah,
2: I just that 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 probably speaks more to uh, a deep seated personal issue of why y'all wouldn't let me have time to craft or uh, do my own shit. <laughs> But, uh, no. I mean, it really was funny where I'm like, guys, I really think we need to, like, go talk to this guy. And y'all are like, fine, I guess, go ahead. And then lo and behold, it was this whole combat with the, um, like, the shadow assassins. And I don't know. That was fun. It was nice to, um, have a resolution for storyline. And, uh, that's the one that I guess stands out to me. And also any, any, uh, any that, um, dropped flesh loot was great. 'Cause it could be like he died I, I in also... agony and on fire. And I'm like, true, that did just happen, didn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. I also really love that mechanic. Uh and I would frequently bring body parts to Janelle for her to eat. <laughs> we would all get excited
0: when I yeah, found body parts yeah. for Janelle.
1: You know. Because Dan and I originally like tried the game out co-op uh by ourselves for a little bit before we all played together and I played an elf that could do that and was super into it.
3: I will say that one combat that I'm a little... I'm glad they let us have it, but I'm a little uh, frustrated with how it was set up. And you could probably ante- guess which one I'm going <laughs> to say. One I can see it, it on you. Daniel's face right now. Yes. It's the one where, you know, there's the tension throughout the whole game of only one of you can become divine. You're eventually going to be- have to betray. Like, I was preparing the entire time to betray you guys in some fashion. We know. Uh, so, like, you're always, you're always <laughs> oh, yes. ready for that, like, yeah you're always having to be ready for that. Like only one of you can come out of this. You're going to have to fight each other at some point. It's kind of something the game gives you. And then there is a point in the game where you do get to fight each other. And it doesn't feel like it's for deadly stakes. It doesn't feel like it's the end of the game. Like it's early enough in the game that it feels reasonable that like, oh, you're just going to all be out of this at the end anyway. So like there aren't super high stakes to it, but the way that it was set up, I didn't appreciate because I didn't feel like it was a fair test (laughs) against each other.
1: It deflates the tension, too. Like, it gets the fight out of the way too early instead of letting you, like, think about it more. I thought it was fine. Let it stew.
3: Obviously. Well, you would.
1: Yeah. Um, Another one I wanted to bring up because it still kind of pokes at the back of my mind because we never went back to it is when we were on the volcanic island area and Stephen got that stone that took oh, us to yeah. like the the uh, yeah, whatever fuckery dimension. <laughs> it was kind of the fuckery yeah. dimension.
3: <laughs> the dimension of fuckery uh, was it was the ropper fuckery. Dimension. Unfortunately <laughs> I wish I, I yeah, whatever happened where we realized we couldn't get back there once it was like a one time or it wasn't one time yeah. use it had to be An used act, in that act. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, on the island, yeah. yeah. So I, I wish we would have gone back to that and seen what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you can watch a YouTube videos. So.
1: Yeah, but that's not the same.
0: True. Well, uh, are we nearing final thoughts time?
1: Uh, I think so. Uh, it's just one other thing I have in my notes I thought would be maybe interesting to talk about. But I feel like we talked a little bit on the first half about this kind of being like a double A game. You know, like... The game looks great, but it's not quite, you know, like triple A level, you know, like a The Witcher three or anything close to that. But um, it looks great. And I think the fact that it's like mostly kind of isometric, like you can zoom the camera in a lot, but uh, they don't have to worry as much about the visual fidelity. And I think that allows them to just pack the world with a bunch of detail and like make it really dense in a way that you can't with like a really big like AAA level game, and it's something that um even Baldur's Gate and things like that took advantage of back in the day. Is like it the more simple pulled back visual style just allows them to like really pack the game full of the stuff that you want in an RPG.
0: Yeah, this game looks. I think it looks incredibly good. I mean, it's like yeah, yeah, it looks great. The art design is great, and like the detail is terrific. The environments are really beautiful. Like when I first started playing it, I couldn't believe this wasn't like a AAA like big studio title. It looks it looks fantastic.
3: I assumed that it was a big studio title. I didn't know any of this about Kickstarter until we started this podcast today. Like oh, I, yeah. I had no idea that this wasn't a huge game.
1: Yeah, the water looked especially nice. I thought. Like, I like that this game started, like, on a beach. I thought, like, the visuals yeah. of that, I thought were really good. Any great. of the
0: environments that, like, had a lot of wood in them, I thought looked great. Like, the ship looked terrific. I thought. <laughs> that should, I mean, maybe I just
3: like
1: wooden things.
3: But you do. But... Yeah, you do like <laughs> wooden things, and I like anything that starts on a beach, so, you
1: know. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, like, more games of this kind of, like, level, like, the more, like, mid-tier high quality products, I think we need more of that. Yeah, another
0: game that's kind of like that is Grim Dawn. I don't know if any I don't think any of you guys have played, but it's also like, it's like a more Diablo like action RPG, but it also like, it's kind of a double A game and also looks terrific. Uh, At least its environments look terrific, uh, like for the same reason. So I think that there's a lot of like I think there's a lesson there for like making smart use of the resources you have. And, like, your design decisions can can help make the game look really good, even if you don't have, like, the biggest budget in the world.
2: Do, do, we, want, do we want to touch on the ending? Because that, for me, is kind of where the bag got fumbled a teeny bit, just as far. Yeah. I mean, there are, are many potential endings, and just for a game that felt like, with the choices that you had, and the choices that were made... I didn't like that there was a quote-unquote like secret right ending where if you chose to purge the world of Source and close the veil, you knew everyone was going to be protected from the Void Woken. However, you knew that you were going to be losing your powers and everybody else is going to lose their powers. But it is, of course, the morally right thing to do. Yeah. And then you find out if you choose that ending that somehow Malady is able to preserve your source powers and your abilities. It's like, well, that that hamstrings the importance of making that choice, that if you wanted to make that morally correct choice, there should be that price to pay. You shouldn't get the happy, glowy ending reward just because you chose to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. It's my least favorite trend in video game like morality systems or like moral choices where you are set up as having an ostensibly like difficult moral choice to make but if you make the like quote-unquote right decision then like everything turns out fine i i love the mass effect games but like this is their greatest sin for me this is their greatest original Divinity sin yeah uh this is their original <laughs> sin for me because it's like your setup is having like you know do you sterilize the Krogans and, like, prevent because they're, like, a super aggressive race to like, spread everywhere? Or, like, do you, you know, you say, like, that's not, like, right and it's functionally genocide and, like, I'll live with the consequences. But then if you pick, like, the not genocide option, it turns out everything's fine. Like, you never get, the, you need to get the downside of, like, making the right, the morally right decision because then it feels meaningful. And I really don't like it when a game, like, strips away all of the negative consequences of doing the right thing. Um, because then it's not really a choice.
2: Well, yeah, and then, so obvious, we all, three of us made the decision not to ascend <laughs> to divinehood, whereas...
4: <laughs> who, who made surprise, the surprise? <laughs>
2: it was Steven and Losa. Um, and so, yeah, the the choice of how to kind of resolve the ending and deal with the Void Woken and the hole in the veil and where's the source going and blah 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 did fall in the end to one player i don't i don't know whether we would have had to have a uh 1v1 to resolve who got to make the final choice or what that was but um you you made the choice that i think we all as role-playing our characters would have wanted which is that everyone get source now everyone becomes sorcerers and that did have the side effect of momentary peace followed by power struggle and eventual war and sort of a collapse of society which that makes sense that that was the choice we made and had the appropriate repercussions um the other endings were that we could have allowed the god king and the eternals to come back meaning that we would all be feigned slaves
0: which is not the one that i picked so
2: yeah And, um, the other one, which was, I feel like there was one more. Oh, that someone, that someone become divine, which no one actually ascended because everyone ended up with the source. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it felt like with all the endings, there were appropriate sort of consequences for the decision, except for, you know, then I found out that there was the right choice that you then everyone sails away into a future where they're the only ones with Source, and yet there are no consequences for that. I don't
0: know. Yeah, no, I agree with that.
1: Yeah, I don't think I can really add anything. Uh, yeah, I, The game was more about the the journey for me anyway, so it didn't really hit as hard that the ending wasn't stellar.
2: It's about the journey, not the destination.
1: That's, that's the way the Red Prince lives, man.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree that it was like, I didn't really, it wouldn't have mattered at the end, honestly. Like, I got so much out of playing the game at that point that whatever bullshit they wanted to make up to, like, how it resolves wasn't gonna hit me that hard either way. I didn't know there was a quote-unquote right ending, because I didn't look up anything beyond, like, I was given the choice. And I think my only frustration with the end was that I felt like it was the only point it got to where I couldn't really role play my choice the way I wanted to because I didn't want to screw over anybody else. I got to the point of like who if you wanted to to ascend to Godhood or not, and I said yes and nobody else did. And then it was like, okay, now you get to decide what happens to everyone. I was like, well <laughs> shit. If I was playing this solo and you know, then maybe I would have made a different choice, but as part of like a group you do feel like pen or hem, like penned into, I have to make the, you know, morally right choice. Uh, even given that my character has acted immorally in so many other ways, uh, that it would just be unfair to everyone else involved if I didn't act at, to the expected like moral outcome here. So I don't. I agree that I don't love that that is like a thing in games, like Daniel saying, and and that you're kind of forced to make that choice. And you, or if you you get rewarded for making the moral choice, because in real life, if you make a moral choice, you're probably not going to get rewarded for it. Yeah. Um, so. I would love to see a little bit uh, a little bit more realistic take on that.
1: Well, do we have divine thoughts? <laughs> God woken thoughts. Yes,
2: God, God woke thoughts. God woke
0: thoughts. I'll go first. Um, this game has flaws. We talked about the story doesn't necessarily like hang together, start to finish. greedy endings, like a little bit underwhelming. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is the quest log is terrible in this game. Like it was, especially the way we played it. Like coming, like going week to week, it was. It gave you almost no information about what had already happened or what you were supposed to do next. One of like the few design problems in this game, but this is like one of my favorite games ever at this point. Probably, uh, it's just so good. <laughs> like the systems are super fun. Like I always look forward to combat in the game because just like so engaging active, cooperative, and I, like I said, I I don't think I've ever been looking forward more to a game than Baldur's Gate 3. Partly because I, like, I loved this game, and I didn't even really get that sucked into, like, the world or the story. They were competently made and, like, good in their own way. Like, I don't really want to make... I don't want to be harsh on them, but, like, that's not what I loved about this game. So, like, the fact that they're now doing a game, like, set in the Forgotten Realms and, like, using... More Dungeons and Dragons uh, backdrop is something that like I like could not be more excited
3: about. So, I mean, I guess I'll go second then on what Daniel's saying. I like completely agree that's one of my favorite games that I've played, and that it was something I look forward to so much every week. Uh, if something came up where I couldn't play Divinity on Wednesday night, I was always disappointed right. in it. Um, like it was, I I love a game like that where you. Aren't when when I'm at work on a Tuesday thinking about what I'm going to do when we get back on Divinity the next day like that's a sign of a really good game like that's happened to me a lot of times um, with with other games too but you know when you're thinking about the game when you're not playing it I think is a big sign of like a really high quality game experience Mm -hmm. and that you look forward to getting back to it every week and getting on and and what you're going to do and so. Yeah, like the the world and its and its lore. I don't, I couldn't tell you much about the world of Rivalon um, or you know its histories and all its different factions and things. Like, I got some of the information about the elves that I can remember, and and it was a it was an important part of the game. Obviously, its setting, but it was more the mechanics of the game that I really loved, um, and the the combat systems, the the multiplayer system, the way the game worked, that. Really made it special. It's a really good experience for me playing uh, in a special game. And again, it makes me look forward to K 3 so much in the same way that Dan was talking about. It was super disappointing for me to hear about the Divinity Original Sin 3 um, or Divinity Original, like the next sequel in the Divinity universe is not going to be multiplayer. It was going to be some kind of like. It's like a strategy. I, game, I, we I talked think. about it briefly. Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a RTS style, which I like an RTS, but it's like the, to hear that while we were playing Divinity, I heard about the the sequel upcoming and then found out it wasn't going to be a multiplayer game like this uh RPG like this one was and I was super disappointing to to leave that behind. And it's like it was a game that I did not look forward to ending. I didn't want to get to the end and finish it and be done with it. Uh, and it's super replayable, obviously, but for our purposes, I'm sure I, I probably won't be going back to replay it, but it was definitely one that I didn't look forward to finishing and being done with. And the fact that we have Baldur's Gate 3 to look forward to as like, it's not Divinity Original Sin 3, but it ostensibly, or for all, for all, for all my purposes, it, it kind of is. Um, so so yeah, I, I love the game. Um, it is, it's definitely, it's everything that I want in, in an RPG uh, the multiplayer RPG like this, so uh, all thumbs up from me.
2: Um, I guess piggybacking, I really liked that it was something that we could do together, and it felt collaborative, and it felt that we were all contributing, and we could all get kind of personal gratification out of it, but it was kind of a way of, of bringing people together, and I'm sure that it would be a fulfilling game to play solo as well, um, but I do think that it is best when best when shared with others, and so um, yeah, it definitely is a good game to play, um, particularly in the present climate where you might be a little bit more remote from loved ones and other people that you might be used to spending time with. Something to look forward to as far as uh, exploring a world together with other people, a uh, bit of an escape, no. Um, so I guess that's my big takeaway was it was a really great game to experience with other people, even if they weren't super into letting you ha- have time to craft. That's all I have to say about that.
1: I- I'll piggyback off of what Janelle was saying. Um, this game, I think, is less to my tastes than uh, either Daniel or Steven, you know, like specifically, but I, I do i did really like this game mechanically and everything but like i did really look forward to the social interaction like i i really liked the co-op i liked how seamless it was like it just works uh dan and janelle could play split screen and then we could also join and it was never an issue barring some internet troubles at the start or computer troubles with steven Uh, Uh, or daniel's computer troubles that's yeah that's true or that too um but yeah, and I also, I love that this had controller support. I didn't bring that up. Uh, I tried both options and actually liked the controller better, which, you know, was crazy given that it's a C RPG. Um, so that was great. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's great overall, like, especially it's like a co-op game. I remember there was a summer where Dan and I tried to find a game to play together and we couldn't find one. And you know, years later, like, we started playing this, and this is, like, an experience we kind of always been looking yeah. for, you know, like, for years. Well, we years, played and, Fable like, 3, just...
0: but that's barely a video game. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, zing. A well-deserved <laughs> Yeah, zing. I was gonna say. But, yeah. Um... <laughs> but, yeah, this it, it, the game's great, and all the way through, it's jam-packed, it's high quality, it's... I haven't played a game that's, like, this all-around great in a long time. And I I just really enjoyed my time with it. And it was enhanced because it was time also spent with friends. Yeah. (laughs) But with that said, thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Halo Combat Evolved. And until next time, if you'd like to get a hold of us, all of our contact information is on our website, noclippodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at NoClip Podcast. And if you're feeling like it, feel free to join our Discord server. You can also find the link to that on our website. And as always, make sure you yield to none in the comment section and remember to smash that like button. I don't know what we're talking about next time, so I'm gonna add it in later.
3: Next time we'll be talking
1: about <laughs> time splitters, future perfect. Uh, oh time splitters. Oh
3: yeah. I better be invited to that one.
2: Next time we're talking <laughs> about Dragon Age Origins. In the future. Future perfect?
1: Yeah. Yes, Dragon Age Origins, future perfect.
0: In the future perfect.
2: Future perfect.